only time I've ever done this is I've been interviewed like two or three times for WRMJ. They do this segment called It's Your Health. <laughs> so you're going to be a pro. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Sacred City Vision Drip. Uh, Pastor Sam here, and we are continuing on in a, a mini-series. This is part two of uh, Meet the Pastor. Um, this past year, back in April, we were able to uh, arrive at a plurality of elders, Pastor AJ, who you met last week, uh, and then today I'm sitting down with Pastor Jesse, um, and we're talking about everything. We're getting to know Jesse um, as a man and as a family, what he does for a living, um, talking about how he sensed God calling him into ministry and what it is what he brings to the table and things of that nature, and so um, these are meant to be an opportunity for you to get to know um, these elders who are responsible, who are charged by God for shepherding the flock that is among them and doing it in a way that honors the the over-shepherd Jesus Christ. So, Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We, uh, we want to just start out just with the basics. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, your upbringing, and, and how did you get to this spot in your life? So I uh, was born um, in Alito, Illinois, at Mercer County Hospital. Um, I spent what room number, please. I, I don't remember. Okay, I, I, I don't remember that day, but um, spent my whole childhood there. Um, I grew up in a Christian family uh, where, uh, for most of my life, I remember going to church and being raised in a home where I was um, taught the fear and admonition of the Lord. Um, I went off to college after high school, and that is where I met my beautiful wife, Melissa. Uh, we were both resident assistants in a um, adult uh, housing uh, off-campus uh, apartment complex called Cougar Village, um, <laughs> which, which we still kind of joke about because Melissa's a little bit older than me, and... Um, we were both resident assistants there. One of the rules to resident assistants is that, uh, we weren't supposed to have inter-resident assistant relationships and, uh, we broke that rule. Uh, Melissa and I started dating, I think my sophomore year of college and we eventually got married. Uh, we now have three, um, amazing boys, Josiah, who is nine, Gentry, who is six and Leroy Jack, who is four. Nice. Nice. So then uh, you went to school. You made your way back here eventually. Tell me, um, tell me what do you do during the day? What's your day job? And how do you uh, support your family? And then how did you end up back here in, in the, the Alito Quad Cities area? When I um, left Alito uh, to go to school, I was convinced that I would never um, be brought back to a small town. Um, I wanted to, to get out into the world and live in a big city. Um, I did that for a while. Um, I went to school to become a family nurse practitioner, and that is what I currently do. Um, after I graduated from grad school, um, it took me, it took me about eight years to finish school, um, because my, uh, my undergrad, I was a full-time student, but then in graduate school, I, I, I still worked, um, as an RN um, at, in an emergency room. Um, so it took me quite a while to finish my graduate degree. Um, 
And, you know, I worked in the city uh, that whole time. Melissa and I lived in the Central West End, uh, which is kind of a, a hip part of St. Louis. Um, I worked at Barnes Jewish Hospital. Um, I worked in an ICU there for a while. And then I eventually, when I finished grad, stu- grad school, I started working for a, um, a company called MEDS. Uh, it stands for Midwest Emergency Department Staffing. And it was basically a staffing agency for some of the, the emergency rooms throughout the, the St. Louis region. Um, I, at that point in time, uh, was dead set on probably living in the city for the rest of my life. Um, I enjoyed the fast-paced environment of um, working in the emergency room, kind of the excitement. Um, It turns out after a while, though, that excitement started to wear off and it became just a job. Melissa and I didn't have really any desire to start a family. Uh, She was going to school to be a speech therapist, and we were kind of just going to be career-minded for the rest of our lives. That was kind of our goal. Um, But then um, God um, surprised us with Josiah, Um, and having uh, our first son uh, was definitely a, a reformative time in our worldview. Um, At that time, we had a couple within our church who, um, a young couple uh, um, that started kind of discipling us and teaching us about like the value of of family life and the value of raising children. Um, They homeschooled their children and they kind of um, brought us into their home and um, just through asking us for help with projects around the house, inviting us over for dinners and just weekend hangouts, just started discipling us. I don't think we realized we were getting discipled at the time. We just thought we were hanging out with this cool couple. Um, uh, his name was, uh, his name is Parker and her name was Laura and they have uh, four children and he is, um, now a pastor in, in New Mexico, but, um, you know, they just, they really reformed the way that we saw the family, the way that we saw um, parenthood and raising children. And we, we kind of saw that um, our kind of individualistic approach to our future wasn't, you know, wasn't what we desired anymore. And at the same time that that was all happening, I was offered a job um, back in Alito, uh, the the small hospital there was looking for somebody to do family practice within their clinic. I had never done family practice before. Um, I had always worked in the emergency department setting, so I didn't think that um, it would be something that I would be able to do long term, uh, but they did offer to pay my student loans. So I had to give them at least two years for them to do that, and every quarter they would pay a quarter of my, uh, my student loans. So I said, you know, let's just do it. Uh, move back to Lido. We're we're getting ready to have a baby. Um, you know, why not? You know, why not do something different for a while? Have a change of scenery um, and get my student loans taken care of in the process. So we moved back, and the rest is history. Um, you know, I, I I fulfilled my two year requirement. That was ten years ago, and I'm still doing it. Um, I ca- I came to love family practice. Um, you know. I, I enjoyed the fast-paced environment of the ER and the excitement, but, you know, that excitement eventually wears off. And, and what I'm doing now, the excitement, it, it doesn't really wear off. You know, I'm doing, you know, fifth-grade school physicals on kids that I saw as, 
as a brand new baby right mm-hmm. now at their first week well well visit and so I'm just getting to see, you know, I take care of a one week old in one room and the next room, you know, yesterday I had a 101 year old lady, you know, so I get to see people and, and take care of their health throughout the full spectrum of life. Um, and that's just, it kind of never loses its excitement. And, um, so the rest is history. We've just been here ever since. I enjoy living in the small town. I ever thought that I would be able to, um, come back and live in Alito, but we really loved it. Uh, we have a small farm that we raise some animals with my parents. Um, I love that my kids are able to grow up uh, raising animals and learning husbandry and um, learning responsibility in that setting. And um, I enjoy having our family around us to be able to help us at this stage of life, raising kids and uh, living in the city. I don't, I don't know how we would have done the last 10 years. It would have been really, really hard. Yeah. That's good. Um, one of the things that as you're talking, I was thinking about is um, obviously you're working a full time job and you've stepped into uh, the pastorate. Um, you're, you're functioning as a, as a local elder here. Um, and, and a lot of times people make this divide in their minds about what's ministry and what's not ministry. And and though you've recently been appointed as one of the overseers of Sacred City Moline, it sounds like your ministry has gone back over a decade ago and, and really uh, the ministry um, really coming out through your vocation. You want to talk about, I mean, you, you referenced about from from birth to death sort of care of people, but the, the care of souls that you see going on that naturally uh, is is coupled with actually taking care of people's physical health. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I felt like, you know, I've, I've definitely been called into the eldership uh, role, but for in a lot of ways, I've been doing a lot of this stuff for a long time. Um, you know, I, I really enjoy caring for people in the everyday things of life that they're struggling with. I love the the phone calls on a Saturday afternoon to put a, some stitches in somebody's hand. And at the of same which, time, usually it's my kids. Yes, so, okay. it is a Schmidt, Schmidt child, one out of three phone calls at Shh. least. But, um, you know, and I, I also love being able to disciple people um, kind of in the way that we were discipled by the family back in St. Louis. Uh, you know, didn't even really realize that that's what was happening. I think that they had gospel intentionality and we just didn't really realize that. But being able to do life with people um, through the everyday struggles and everyday victories um, and be able to let people do life alongside of you and, and help disciple them in the process is I think um, exponentially more effective than handing someone a book and tell them to read it and learn about this aspect of doing life. Yeah, no, that's that's really good. Yeah, that's really good to, uh, and I think it's something that we all need to see and recognize is that, you know, um, we're told in, in scripture that that we are to to work as unto the Lord, not not to man, but as unto the Lord, and and seeing our our work, and this is one of the things that the Reformation led into is helping us see that vocation is a way to serve the Lord and to advance His mission and. And regardless of if you are in the office of elder right now or not, certainly would have a um, uh, ample opportunity for ministering to people with with what you're doing. And I think that's true of all of us, regardless of what career field um, we are in. Okay, so we got through your story a little bit. Um, we, we've landed back in Alito. Uh, what? How? How did you end up at Sacred City Church? And when was that? Well, that would have been um, 2013 is when we moved back to Alito. 
Um, we, uh, Melissa was, I think seven months and maybe eight months pregnant. She was, she was very pregnant when we moved back. When we moved back in January, I remember it was bitter cold. Um, a lot of snow on the ground. Uh, we didn't have a place to live, uh, when we moved back. So we ended up renting a house that was for sale. And the house had been on the market for two or three years. The family wasn't confident that there was going to be any movement on that in the next uh, foreseeable future. So they let us rent it for a kind of a month-by-month basis. And uh, within two weeks of us moving into that house, the house sold. Uh, so we were kind of, <laughs> what, what are we going to do? Um, so Melissa drove around town, um, kind of just praying that the Lord would provide for us uh, a place to kind of put some roots down and, and call home. Um, and the Lord answered that prayer. Um, my dad called us and said, hey, I've got this guy that I know that has a house that he would like for you guys to come look at. Um, the guy's name uh, is Gene Hofer, and he was he's an incredible Christian man and loves the Lord and wanted to help us in any way that he could. And uh, he had this really cool old house that he had restored, and he was wanting to sell it. Uh, We we expressed to him that we weren't at a place financially where we could pay a mortgage. Uh, So he said, why don't you just rent it for the next year? And then whatever you pay in rent over the the next year, we'll just take off the price of the house. And I was like, wow, that's really gracious. And so we did that. We ended up buying our house. we ended up at, at Sacred City Davenport um, through just um, looking for Acts 29 churches. We were um, part of an Acts 29 church in St. Louis, and we kind of wanted the same culture uh, for where we were going to um, start doing church life. So that's kind of how we ended up driving to Davenport every Sunday and then eventually part of the church plant over in Moline. Yeah. Yeah, you guys have been around for for quite some time and you've gone through different phases of involvement from just getting here and getting plugged in to, um, I don't know, I'd have to go back to what, 2017 maybe when you and I, our, our, our families were co-leading, um, a missional community in my rock Island house. And then mm-hmm. you guys eventually, um, s- spun out and went to, uh, Alito to start something. And, and actually, since I've known you, um, you've always been, I'm in Alito. Like mm-hmm. I was born and raised, we're in Alito. That's where I work. That's where my family is. And, and for a long time, you guys would commute multiple times a week up, up to the cities as the Alitoans say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you, you'd make that 35, 45 minute commute from Alito to the quad cities for Sunday gatherings, for, um, for missional community and then probably some other time during the week where you're just connecting with people. You guys are both, your wife is probably one of the most uh, missionally minded, very relational, and, and God's given you a great gift in Melissa. Um, but you guys for a long time were making that commute mul- multiple times a week, and God had put it on your heart that you wanted to uh, you wanted to start a missional community. You had been praying for a long time. You had been working to accumulate um, some, something of a core group to start a missional community of people who are from Alito, and how long has it been? You've been, so you, we eventually got to starting an Alito mission community. That was probably what, four or five years ago? Four, I think four years ago. Four years ago. Yeah. Talk, talk us through that whole process of the, the, the desire for that and what's, what's going on in the meantime. 
Well, missional community life has definitely been one of the most formative um, aspects of our discipleship, uh, being able to um, really go deep with um, a group of people and have them um, disciple us through the everyday struggles of life. Um, Those bonds that have been formed there have been just an incredible blessing, and we wanted to have that for our community. Um, We wanted to see people in our community be able to experience that same, um, you know, that same blessing. Uh, We didn't know how to do it, uh, so we had to make the sacrifice for a few years of driving every week up to a missional community in the Quad Cities, and, um, you know, that was a time where we always had the end goal of ultimately doing this in Alito, but knew that we were going to have to learn how to do that and build up a core group of people to be able to start that. And, you know, you know, by grace, the Lord provided that for us, that we were able to eventually start a missional community in Alito and be able to start inviting people into, to doing life that way. And, um, it's been a, it's been a real blessing. And I hope that our missional community in Alito will continue to grow and be able to multiply and be able to be a real blessing to the community that we love. Yeah. Yeah, and I, maybe you can speak to this more than I can, but over the years as I've traveled down to spend time with you guys in Alito or just, you know, be around there, I, there seems to be a bit of a, a revival of sorts. Not, I think that there's probably a spiritual revival on the horizon, but certainly the city of Alito is, is changing in a good way. Instead of the, the dilapidation which comes through the decades, we're starting to see a lot of money being invested in the downtown areas and places where mm-hmm. people are, and it seems that life is being injected in Alito. You want to talk about what that's like, what, what your take on that is, and what you see going on there? Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people that I think have had similar life experiences as me. They've they've seen they've grown up in a small town and kind of kind of seen the excitement of, of bigger settings and, and gone out and come back and, uh, you know, really being able to see the value of small town life. And we have a, a unique collection of those types of people in Alito who are very community minded and wanting to see, uh, the community thrive and, and are investing a lot of time and resources into, uh, rebuilding some of the vestiges of this once uh, very thriving community with a lot of businesses and small businesses and um, just beautiful settings for people to, you know, parks and uh, Banshell and, um, you know, you know, nice downtown area. And, and there's just a lot of people that are wanting to see that come back and are willing to invest the time and the resources to make that happen and make it a destination where, you know, people want to travel to, to, uh, be able to experience a you know a, a little picture of small town life. Sure. So yeah, there's a lot of excitement for that in Alito. Um, a lot of excitement that a lot of small towns don't have, and I think it just is. It's it's a lot of people that really really care about their community, are very community minded, and really have a lot of roots there that want to see the community thrive. Yeah, yeah, and all of that aesthetic stuff is for not if there's not a spiritual revival, a spiritual renewal that happens too. And I, and in our conversations, I've sensed that, man, that's something the Lord's put on your heart that you mm-hmm. want to see. And, and the whole purpose of getting a missional community going is so that there would be two, then four, then, then eight missional communities throughout the city of mm-hmm. Alito and people, um, people not only getting experience that, that boost of life of just the community life, but, but a spiritual changing, you know, an awakening, a, 
um, a renewal taking place there. And that, that would be really exciting. You know, as I talk to you, I just can't help but think that you're like a reformed Wendell Berry. You know, <laughs> you, you got your homesteading, you got your people, you got your yep. place, you got the home hometown feel. There's something wholesome about that, yep. yet kingdom minded of, of let's see what the Lord is, is doing here and be a part of that, that I'm really, well, I, being a guy that grew up in a small town, it yep. kind of makes me want to go back home and be in my small town. Yeah. Yeah. And we're really, we're, we're we are very into regener- regenerative agriculture and just, you know, a lot of the Wendell Berry ideas of, of caring for the land and, um, you know, raising animals in a sustainable way. And, um, yeah, that's something that we're, we're very excited about. Yeah. Well, you, uh, as you mentioned, you got three boys, the very active boys. Uh, and one of the things we were just talking before we started recording is how much you like to be outside outdoors, um, hunting, fishing, hiking, whatever it is. Um, what what are some of the joys and challenges of of raising three adventurous boys like you have? Um, you always you always kind of have to have a plan for the downtime. Um, you know, I used to I used to really value the the sacred Sunday afternoon uh, where you know I could come home and you know, watch some TV and, and sit and maybe take a nap and do those things and saw that as really refreshing and restorative. And, uh, you just, you can't do that anymore. You got to have a plan, uh, you know, because sitting and and chilling with three boys is a recipe for destruction. And, uh, you know, so we got to find ways to occupy the time and to, you got to find ways to find rest in things that aren't traditionally, uh, something that you would see as restful. Um, so, you know, we we find ways to get outside and to do fun things as a family on Sunday afternoons. You know, whether it's during the summer, we do a lot of fishing. Uh, you know, in the fall, we kind of transition over into hunting and uh, doing some more hiking and, you know, getting outside and and doing those sorts of activities. And then once the dead of winter hits and there's just there's nothing to, to fish or to kill, we we just have a shooting range and we just shoot guns. Um, you know, I think I think last year uh, Josiah went through like two thousand rounds of ammunition in his twenty two <laughs> in January and February, and it's just because there's nothing else to do. So we just get out and we shoot guns and. Uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of squirrel hunting and we got deer season coming up and we caught a lot of fish over the summer and yeah, so we find ways to get outside and, uh, try to foster a love for being outside in our boys and, uh, find ways to occupy the time that don't, um, involve chilling cause they don't do chilling anymore. Sure. <laughs> what, it, what, um, so that sounds like both a, a joy of you're outside, you're doing creative, you're doing adventurous type things with your boys. Um, it sounds like there's also just a challenge in that. Like you talk mm-hmm. about, it sounds like the natural boys are naturally adventurous. They naturally, if, if they don't have a project to build up, they're going to find something to destroy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sounds like you're able to harness some of that raw boy energy mm-hmm. and channel it towards something that's really productive. It's teaching them life skills. It's teaching them how to, to enjoy God's creation, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, one of the coolest things about us, you know, living in Alito and having the small farm is that, you know, my kids are homeschooled and my dad gets off work at three thirty every day. He drops by the house and picks up Josiah and they go out and do chores. 
and Josiah's learning husbandry. And, um, you know, the word husbandry literally means keeping something warm. Um, that's, that's what we do a lot of is keeping things warm, um, keeping waters from thawing, uh, from freezing in the winter and, you know, keeping animals, um, in protected shelter. And, um, you know, Josiah has learned a lot of life skills in that he's learned how to, you know, operate equipment. He's learned how to, he can already, he's nine years old and he can drive my dad's truck. And, um, you know, he's learning a lot of, what it looks like to take responsibility for something and enjoy the benefits of that when you do. And uh, I think that there's a lot of value in, in kids learning those sorts of things from an early age. And it gives them something to really be excited about and to take ownership of and kind of a little place where uh, boys can learn to have dominion over the world that God put them in. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, let me let me ask you this. So, not everybody. A lot of us don't live in Alito. Uh, not everybody has access to a family farm where we can go and take our boys and and channel some of those energies. What, what would maybe be some more like urban, you know, suburban applications of of what you're talking about? What to do with, you know, I've got four boys. What, what would you recommend to us with uh, our family living in in city life? Teach them to have dominion over something. And how to, you know, I, th- I think like, I think that boys need something, you know, I, I think that the book learning is incredibly important. And I, and I tell Josiah every day when he's struggling with his school that he, you know, God's given him a mind. He, he needs to feed that mind knowledge so that he can use that knowledge to bring glory to God and, and serve his people. But I think boys need to have... Um, things that they can do with their hands and they need to learn life skills. So learning how to build things, working on, working on vehicles, working on the lawnmower. Um, you know, if I lived in the city, I mean, I've thought about this. Like if we ever had to move to a city somewhere, like what would I do? And I would, you know, build something, you know, learn forging. You know, that's something I've thought about, uh, building a forge so that my kids could learn metalworking. You know, something like anybody that's ever watched Forged in Fire has <laughs> has had a, as a one time thought about. Yeah, I think there's a place in my garage for a forge. Exactly. Yeah. 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 If you've watched that show, you've thought about that um, because it's awesome. And it's it's learning how to take a raw material and build something beautiful out of it. And I think that you can do that through gardening. I think that you can do that through, you know, working on vehicles and teaching kids how to change the oil and take responsibility for you know, the, the vehicles that they're going to have someday and um, doing yard work and, um, you know, beautifying their community through learning how to, to care for, you know, their lawn so that they can someday, you know, start mowing the neighbor's lawn and then mow the, the next neighbor's lawn and starting to build something Some that they can yeah. take responsibility for and make a little money that they can enjoy and, um, you know, have a little... Um, you know, benefit of, of having a little extra spending money. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, I mean, that's one thing my dad did for me when I was, when I was little, he, he told me that uh, I needed to learn how to mow the lawn. I learned how to mow the lawn before long. He told me that I was actually going to start mowing the neighbor's lawn. Like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't volunteer for that. Like, I know, (laughs) (laughs) but you are. And, and I started, I started mowing the neighbor's lawn. And then before that I had another neighbor that asked me to mow the lawn. And before long I had, a little extra, you know, a little extra money in my pocket and I could sure. buy a vehicle and, 
I think that there's all sorts of ways to foster that sort of industry in, in young boys. Yeah, that's really helpful. Really helpful. And I think it's an important topic to keep exploring. And I'm sure over, over time, we'll talk more about, um, that on this podcast. Well, you've, you've kind of let us in to see some of the big milestones in your life. Um, the upbringing in a Christian home, going to college, um, pursuing vocation, meeting Melissa, having kids, the relationship uh, with the family and the church, moving back home to to do the homesteading and family practitioner gig, having kids, all this stuff. Um, at what point did you sense the Lord calling you into some sort of pastoral ministry? Um. I, you know, I've always felt like I was called to be, you know, at least a leader in our missional community. And as we entered into um, the idea of building up elders on the Moline side, I recognized the opportunity, if nothing else, for me to learn. Um, you know, part of the process was a whole bunch of books to read and and uh, some meetings to go to and papers to write. And, you know, I saw that as, you know, this might not be for me, but even if it's not, you know, in the process, I'm going to learn a whole lot. And this is going to be valuable information for me to be able to better lead my family and be able to better lead my MC. So, you know, why not, you know, and in the process of going through the assessments and the papers and all the reading and stuff, I did feel the calling of stepping into the role. But even if at the end of it, I wouldn't have been called into the role of elder, I wouldn't have walked away not you know, gaining a lot of uh, very useful wisdom and knowledge of church history and biblical doctrine and, you know, things that, uh, that, I, that I need to know to be able to um, really lead well in my home and in my MC. Yeah. Well, that's really encouraging. I'm glad that that process was, you know, you had that experience with the process. It certainly is meant to be a learning and growing, not just intellectually. The books do play a role, but I mean, the uh, the relational aspect. How do we lead together? How do we function as a, a team of elders? Um, there certainly was. It was as formative for me going through it, and then leading a couple other guys through it as well. It certainly had uh, a powerful effect on me as well. And, and we're so glad um, that you are on the team. What excites you about being a pastor? Maybe excite is not. What, what word would you? What are your <laughs> thoughts about being a pastor? Um, I just. I get pumped to see um, people hitting discipleship milestones and just seeing people um, have their eyes open to, to ways that God's working in their life, seeing people have victory over sins that they've struggled with for years, and um, just seeing the way that, that God can use the, the measly efforts that I put forward to do something really powerful in someone's heart. Um, and I get excited about, I get excited about revival. I want to see, uh, I want to see uh, an age for my children where um, the kingdom has come in a more full way than it has during my life, and there being more people coming to know Jesus, and there being um, a Christianization of the culture again that leads to thriving in a way that. Um, we once had in our past. Yeah. So I, 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 that's what I get excited about. Yeah, that's good. That's really cool. And, and you guys certainly have, you and Melissa have 
certainly spent a considerable amount of time sitting with people in their living room or your living room around the dinner table, walking people through both hard things and, and joyful things, taking those next steps in discipleship and, and, uh, and all of that works to the end of God's kingdom advancing. So we're grateful um, that you can contribute to our church in that way and grateful to have you on the team. If you would, if, if for whatever reason, hypothetical situation, but if you were to only be allowed to pray for one thing, aside from your family, but pray for one thing for our church for the next decade, what would that one thing that you're praying for be? Revival. Revival. Yeah. What, what do you think that would look like? What would, what kind of, what's the flavor of revival you're praying for? I want to see, I want to see a lot of young men coming into our church and learning how to embrace a a biblical masculinity and have dominion in the world around them and leading a family in a culture in a business and building something beautiful for the glory of God's kingdom. I want to see people who don't know Jesus coming to know Jesus. I want to see families being reformed, um, under the Lordship of Jesus and submitting all of life to his kingship. Um, yeah, I think that that's what revival would look like. Yeah. Amen to that. Now, when you say, um, you said men coming to faith, biblical masculinity, some people might hear that and say like, well, that you're excluding women from this equation. What, what, what does biblical masculinity afford for biblical femininity? Biblical femininity is able to only thrive in an environment where there is proper biblical masculinity. Yeah. I think that when we have a culture of men who are stepping into their role of, of godly biblical masculinity, that creates a place where true biblical femininity is able to thrive and grow and be embraced and enjoyed for the beautiful thing that God made it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words... Biblical masculinity provides the infrastructure for femininity to really to, to abound. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, let me see. Let's close this out. A couple, couple of, of uh, just fun, lighthearted questions just to bring it home here. And, and we've already talked about what you guys are doing on the weekends. But what what are you going to do for fun? Like if, if uh, let's say the kids are with grandma and grandpa for the afternoon, Sunday afternoon, what are you doing besides taking a nap for fun? Oh man, I like to run. Um, I like I like to listen to podcasts and learn. Um, I love Narnia. Uh, C.S. Lewis is just a mesmerizing uh, person, and those books just absolutely take my mind to a different world. Yeah, I think that's what he was intending to do. Uh-huh. And uh, learning to live like a Narnian is something that that I want. I want to learn how to do, and I want my boys to learn how to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we, we read a chapter of Narnia every night uh, before we go to bed, and, you know, that's definitely a place where um, uh, I find a lot of rest. Um, I love watching hunting shows. Uh, Meat Eater is my, is my jam. Hey, they're coming to the Quad Cities in December. Really? Yeah. Live show. Yeah. Just the, so you know. Those guys are great, and I, I really love... Uh, I really love the way that they blend um, the desire for uh, seeking wild game in an ethical way and really in, at the same time embracing the beauty of, of creation and uh, 
also it's kind of they're kind of cooking shows. You know, they they end every show with showing you how to cook what we just killed. Yeah, and and that's that's I think that's really cool. That so is cool. If I could, if I could do something by myself on a Sunday afternoon, probably just that's sit and watch me eat her. <laughs> nice. Um, all right, date night. Where are you going? Where's your Where's your spot? Um. We haven't we haven't had a spot for for a while. Uh, the other night we went to the New Mexican restaurant in Alito called Tobala, and it was amazing. Was uh, it really high quality Mexican food? Uh, really cool environment. Really nice people. Um, definitely give it two thumbs up. It was great. Sweet. Okay. Uh, I was gonna ask book, but you've already said Narnia is your jam. Yeah. Um, maybe give me this. What what's been over the last year, or t- even going back to the elder development process? If somebody were asking questions about faith, uh, mm-hmm. about wanting to grow and their understanding of the Christian faith, what what book would you hand them to say, "Hey, dig into this"? Um, I actually did have somebody ask me that uh, a while ago, and I'm I'm a little o- OCD. Um, you know, I've talked to Sam about this before. Like, if I start a book, I have to finish it, even if it, even if I'm getting nothing out of it. Uh, I've got to bring it to the end. And I like things that are very comprehensive. I don't like getting an idea and then having to go to the next book for the next idea. Uh, That really drives me nuts. So, you know, one book during the elder development process that I still keep front and center of my desk as the reference for uh, just where to turn to for information and what I would recommend people read um, even if it takes them two years to read it, I think that Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology is just golden. Okay. I, I, I loved it. I uh, thought you were going to say a different book. Yeah. W- what did you think I was going to say? I, think you were gonna, I thought you were going to say God and Government. God and Government was great, too. That, that, that's great. Uh, I'm the kind of guy that can sit and read a textbook. Uh-huh. Um, In fact, you do this on a pretty yeah, regular basis, right? Yeah, yeah. And I... I I like a book like God and Government or Systematic Theology because I don't have to go to multiple different books for multiple different ideas. I can just sit and read, read one book and get the full coverage of everything. Sure. And I like that. Okay. So. All right. Last question. Uh, you're driving home from work. What are you listening to? What, what band are you listening to? <laughs> oh, boy. Am I allowed to say this on the podcast? I don't know. What is it? <laughs> say it and then we'll have to edit it maybe later. Uh, you know, I'm I'm probably listening to 97X and it's it's either a Skinnerd song or a Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Some of the classics. Great. Hey, well, I appreciate you spending time with me, getting to to share you with the people who maybe don't get to brush shoulders with you in Michigan or on a regular basis. So um, when you see... Pastor Jesse in the hallway at church or in the lobby. Usually he's shelling out these farm fresh eggs he's got. Yep. Uh, maybe go get you some, get you a dozen eggs, and then uh, get to know him a little bit. And, and uh, you know, even better, get to know Melissa, because I think she really is probably the best part about you, maybe. I don't disagree yeah. with that. Yeah, so we're, we're very grateful to have the Corns family here and uh, all the gifts and, man, th- their eagerness to share with the church. What a blessing they are. And so uh, thank you, Jesse. I hope this uh, this blessed you, getting to know Jesse a little bit more. Uh, and I just want to encourage you to pray for your pastors. We're, we're out here uh, seeking the Lord, trying to do our best, um, trying to make every decision that would honor Christ as Lord. And so we need the Spirit's help. We need God's help. And so I uh, just want to remind you to pray for us as we pray for you. So we love you guys, and we will see you on Sunday at The Gathering.